what was interesting is when you first started speaking about your hot take on ambition, you kind of just nailed exactly what he he would have said. Well, Aristotle which is- and I were very similar. <laughs> We have very similar backgrounds. <laughs> I, too, was raised in an aristocratic <laughs> Greek home where uh, men were used as love toys. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Gen X Temporaneous. This is a podcast where I come up with an idea, I do some research, I grab a bottle of wine, I bring everything to Mark, and he pontificates. Today's episode is the first in a multi-episode arc featuring 1980s miniseries as the lens through which we will be viewing specific concepts. Tonight's episode is fundamentally about power dynamics and ambition. Mark and I are going to be talking about how people are driven by ambition to acquire power and whether or not ambition is a pathway to satisfaction in life. We are going to be framing this discussion by using the 1983 miniseries of The Thornbirds based on the 1979 novel of the same name by Colleen McCullough as a study in ambition and the impact it has on interpersonal relationships. We invite you to join us on social media. I'm at Serious Produce and Mark is at Mark Eats Peach on Twitter. We have a Facebook page, Gen X Temporaneous, and you can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Christina Gen X. We thank you for listening to us each week. And if you enjoy the podcast, we hope that you'll be kind enough to share us with a friend. Hi, Mark Snedeker. <laughs> Hello, Christina LaRusso. So Yay. I have a couple of questions. <laughs> I got we get through started. that intro. That was amazing. That was <laughs> all in one and a half takes. All right. Uh, so a couple of quick questions. When yeah. you say you bring everything to Mark... I, again, what is everything? Well, I, I've done all the research. Are there milkshakes? Mm, no, I bring oh. it all to you and you, you pontificate. Just lay it before me. The, the, this evening, however, you did supply the wine. So Yes, which is certainly almost never the case. Uh, it's almost always the case. Yes. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> I'm gonna just we're gonna jump right in because we've a lot of ground to cover. Okay, Maggie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Father Ralph. Father Creepazoid. <laughs> oh my God, everyone. Ugh, this movie. Oh. Miniseries. Miniseries. Uh, all right, so give me a hot take on ambition. Oh my God. As with everything in the known universe, moderation is the key. Mm-hmm. Naked, wild, unchecked ambition generally results in large, sprawling empires, mm-hmm. indigenous people being destroyed. Mm hmm. And I th- apparently slicked back hair. <laughs> and small mustaches. Yes. yes exactly. <laughs> There's always a mustache Maybe. or something yes. involved. Uh, well-tailored suits generally, though, well, which is nice. Yeah. you know. All right. But so ambition is really the desire to reach what you imagine is your goal. Uh, the currency of ambition is generally money, power, or both. Position, yes. So I would argue that all of those are really, and I made this point, I think, in one of our last podcasts approximately 17 months ago, (laughs) is that the real goal appears to be for humans status Mm -hmm. instead of rather just having the goal itself be the end. It's really the status that it brings, especially with the very, very ambitious. I think as you become more and more ambitious, you become more and more sociopathic to the point of psychoses at some point. Or maybe you're just such a sociopath that all you have is blind ambition. That's right. There's nothing to check that. Mm -hmm. I find that ambition, you know, kind of a measured ambition pointed towards a worthwhile goal and balanced by, you know, kindness and 
uh, sympathy and things like that is probably more healthy. You know, it's 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 like anything within a Greek tragedy, right? If you go overboard, you have too much hubris, you're definitely going to plummet to Earth at approximately 17 miles an hour, 17,000 miles an hour, rather, in crater. All right, so now here it's, it's very interesting that you mentioned the Greeks because we'll be going to visit a certain... Greek philosopher. Will we? Yes, we will. I thought that I would get you right into your your wheelhouse. No, long dead. (laughs) Oh, gross. Um, Okay, so ambition is often confused with aspiration. I would agree with that 900%. But while they may seem similar, and they are sometimes complementary in the sense that you have an aspiration and you're Ambition can drive you right. to the ambition the, is how much you're willing to pay to get that. How, yeah, what's what in, effort in personal costs, right? Ambition yeah. is very active. Aspiration, yes. you can kind of just sit there and go, "Well, uh-huh. I'd really love to be yeah. a famous podcast. I'd really like to be Buck Rogers, but I'm really not willing to take the math <laughs> classes. So, you know, it's gonna my dream's gonna stay a dream. All right. Okay? So, ambition. For the purpose of this podcast, we are going to and and it, and it it's you know sort of an accepted. Uh, definition is the path to achieving an aspiration. Um, as I mentioned, ambition is more active than aspiration. Ambition right. takes, there's work and uh, effort involved in the ambition. Yeah. Ambition and aspiration both have a goal at the end, but whereas you may luck into meeting your goal, if all you have is the aspiration, then you, that, that may happen for you. But right. ambition is often necessary, though no guarantee right. to achieving the goal of your aspiration. Right. Additionally, according to psychologists, ambition is an, a character trait. So some people right. are born with more ambition. They are more naturally yes. ambitious than others. And particularly, people have a character trait of being more ambitious for power or authority. Okay, from on a scale of the dude to Genghis Khan, where are you? I'm definitely closer to Genghis Khan. <laughs> I think so too, right? <laughs> I was like, if she had Mongol hordes, <laughs> shit would be going down right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm ambitious. I am ambitious. Yeah. And I struggle yeah. when I am paired up with people who are less ambitious uh, right, less ambitious look, than I am. I just got here. Give me a second. No. I'm, I'm warming up. <laughs> no. Calm down. No. I mean, um, there's a reason, for instance, that I do all of the production, all of the research. Because you know I won't do it. Because he, because Mark wouldn't do it. Mark can be very, very quick and very funny, but Mark can procrastinate like a motherfucker. So. <laughs> whereas Christina, and we we just learned this word together the other day. Where whereas Christina procrastinates. <laughs> I do. Which right? is actually a word. That's the opposite <laughs> of procrastination. I do. So. I do. I do. Okay. So about. Ambition. Neil Burton, writing for Psychology Today, says ambition is a complex construct born out of a host of factors, including but not limited to parental role models and expectations, birth order and sibling rivalries, feelings of inferiority or superiority, fear of failure and rejection, intelligence, past achievements, competitiveness, envy, anger, revenge, and the instinctual drives for life and sex. Wow, that's a big psychological goulash it there. Really, it really is. It's very <laughs> Hungarian. There's a lot going on there. Very Eastern European. Yeah, like from, more paprika, please. <laughs> from a purely psychological perspective, ambition can be thought of as an ego defense, which, like all ego defenses, serves to protect and uphold a certain notion of the self. That is what. Do you agree? M- well, every morning I take stock and I have a short meeting with my personality traits. And we have a little oath that we take, you know, <laughs> protect and defend Mark. Everybody's like, I. And then we go off and go out into the world. Go out into the world. Okay. So psychologist Elvin Semrad 
has said about ambition. Oh, I know that name. He's from. like a little known. He, we might have gone to middle school together. But no, yeah. you played Dun- Dungeons and <laughs> yeah, Dragons. Yeah, Dungeons and Dragons. Elvin Semrad. He's he's actually a. Kind oh, that's of, the guy a, who, when you said his name, I was like, is that even a real? Guy? <laughs> yeah, you did. You got <laughs> this is, is like super Alex not a real. Steel, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dagger broadsword. <laughs> <laughs> Math powerland. Yes. <laughs> Math. That fucking guy. <laughs> um, Callback. So, Callback to the repromote we just did. Okay, so, so psychologist Elvin Semrad. He's kind of a little known psychologist but well enough known that he's on the record about this about ambition student of freud said that a person can achieve anything with enough ambition well okay to a certain extent I guess. but that would be complete blind ambition though that right. would be you know that would be like me saying i want to be a concert pianist right and i devote every waking hour of but, the day yeah, it's but not does practical it, isn't there a certain limiting factor like talent or you know intelligence his or whatever. theory is that you would have to practice 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 and practice right. makes perfect you know what they say like ten thousand hours of practice yeah. will make I you i think that that's also been debunked? debunked well i don't know but okay. i mean i mean clearly ten thousand hours of practice is probably more useful than 10 hours of practice correct but okay i don't know that it's a magic number anymore so now i'm gonna i'm gonna take you back to college oh here, here we, go. we go all right here we go oh no <laughs> william and mary won't do <laughs> here we go all right so you were a, a philosophy major i was after <laughs> i was a physics major okay so uh you must be familiar with the fellow named Aristotle. Uh, Aristotle. Yes, I'm a, yes, I know that dude. All right, of so I do. C- can you speak to his... So he has this this concept about ambition, and I don't know if you are aware of it, no. but I think that it fits into a lot of the sort of Aristotelian... Like, idealism. Uh, idealism, so, so it's sort of the, like two extremes. There's like lots of ways right, to fail, but right. one way to succeed. Yeah, so somewhere in the universe, Aristotle probably believes there's a small geometric shape that is everything that is ambition, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the ideal. But uh, no, I am not familiar with his ideas about ideal. I mean, about uh, ambition. I suspect there's a a hubris check at some point. <laughs> well, there is. Because he is Greek. All right. So what he what he talks about, and I was hoping that you would know this because, I mean, <laughs> I'm not. Sorry that I failed you. <laughs> I'm really not. College was a really long time go. ago. I'm winging it, everyone. All right. So he kind of talks about this as on a continuum yes okay. okay and so he says that sort of like on on one end would be excess and on the other end of the continuum within this given sphere of ambition is uh, deficiency extreme or unhealthy ambition would be the excessive state Lack of ambition would be the deficient state. Right. So that's the first thing every fucking philosopher ever does. You set up a sliding scale. (laughs) You put one extreme on one end and one on the other. And then you start chopping shit up so that you can start categorizing it. So it, it totally gelled with exactly what you said, which is there's bad, there's unhealthy ambition. Which is like excessive, and 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 I think it was him or it was Plato that said, um, go, I think this might have been Plato actually that said, good men will often refuse the opportunity to rule. Right. Bad men, bad people. I mean, they were Greeks, they, so they, they were, were always they were, they were always men. Yeah. But but oh, yeah. bad bad yeah, they men. They were always men. Bad men will jump at the opportunity, of course, because they are so filled with ambition and then and or hubris that they right. think that they can't fail and so he they they posited um, a situation where where good men were actually forced to rule yeah 
to you would have to you it's know like, oh no i just i couldn't really i mean i'm just i'm i got my book here and you know i just i don't feel comfortable giving people orders they're like nope you have to do it i'm like all right I'll be your philosopher king. Fine. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. So that's how I would approach it. Really, I would reluctantly take the throne. Okay. So what we are doing now is remember this because when we start talking about the thornbirds, I have this set up so that we can talk about where they fit on this sign of sort of sliding oh, scale. All right. Of ambition. So we're going to apply Aristotle uh-huh. to a cheesy 70s melodrama <laughs> why was, why not it was that 1980s is, honestly that is a genius idea <laughs> who would think of doing that other than you i like it don't mock I'm a, me. no i'm not mocking you i'm serious that's python-esque <laughs> that's like having that's like when they do an entire game show based on proust right that's the kind of kind of the like juxtaposition of disparate uh, philosophies that I like, right. I appreciate it. All right, so Neil Burton again, your buddy. Yeah, Neil says pe- sucked at football. Couldn't <laughs> couldn't fucking catch a football to save his life. People are not truly ambitious unless they are willing to make sacrifices in the name of their ambition. Also, of let's course. let's keep this in mind for the Thornbirds. Even though the end of their ambition may not be worth their sacrifices, and not only because it may never be reached or even approached, it could even be argued that with pure naked ambition, the end is never worth the sacrifice. So now we go sliding right into Machiavelli and say, do, do the, does justify. the end justify the means? Well, now if you have complete, naked, unchecked ambition... I mean, that just means you're willing to do fucking anything yeah. to get this goal. And I guess the point is, is there is no goal so lofty as to justify any means whatsoever. I think that Machiavelli would disagree with that. Well, but he was a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't actually. He had a really great sense of humor. Have you ever read The Mandrake Crew? Uh, no. Oh, one day we're going to do like Renaissance literature and I all the filth that. that they talk about. That. It's hilarious, everyone. I, I know that, that you but don't believe me. But only if we but... can then also do medieval literature. Well, the Italian Renaissance still coincides with the time frame that you're thinking about with roughly the same time that you're thinking about with British literature. Because I know that you're thinking about medieval li- literature as Chaucer. All right, we so digress. Blind ambition prevents someone from recognizing that their goals and the way they move towards them have ceased to serve the bigger picture of their personal happiness. Now, what would blonde ambition blind you to? <laughs> <laughs> what would you say? Good taste? What? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know yet. Like, Modesty. I mean, was, was that really a great tour? I mean, it really was. That, actually, I loved So I it loved was a Madonna. groundbreaking tour. Right? I loved her. I loved it's not her. my favorite Madonna look, right? With the cone boobs? Yeah, that's, I don't really understand the geometry. Yeah, so that's not really that great. But, I mean, musically and even fashion-wise, I mean, she was, she was putting it out there, girl. But anyway, that's a digression. Healthfully ambitious people actually curb their ambitions such that they still succeed, but they do so like in a controlled manner. They Love temper. That show. They temper. Love that show. What? Curb your ambition. Curb your enthusiasm. <laughs> Whatever. Idiots. I feel like Larry David would also curb his ambition a little right. bit. Too. Are you sure? Well, uh, that's true. He's yeah, he no. pretty nakedly ambitious. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they still succeed, but they do it in like in a controlled way. Um, a way to think about that is like the the ambition should should fire their aspirations, but right. not burn the people around them right. on the Temp- path. Be to get tempered it. by some right. 
sliver of humanity. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Okay. So we are now going to transition. So this is sort of the the framework. That's the big like picture. Okay? okay. All right. So very now clever. Now we're going to transition and talk a little bit bit about the mini series and the oh, role that the mini series. I forgot we were even going to talk about a mini series. <laughs> no, we are. All right. So here's our Gen X twist, everyone. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so a mini series were a huge piece of entertainment history, starting in the late seventies and I mean, and if you consider through the twenty entirety years, of yeah, the if you 1980s. consider twenty years a huge piece of history, yes, it definitely does. Well, for television history, yeah, for our history, certainly, right, for and yours right. and mine, for our audience's history, there are still now. I would argue that miniseries still today. It's not the same kind. No. It's not done on like a, a big three, but, but you get you get like Ted Lasso is yeah. essentially twelve what you, episodes. What are you going to call Squid Games other than a, mini, a, a grotesque, violent miniseries? Miniseries, right? right? They're they're short. Um, they're meant short. to be consumed in a fairly compressed period of time, mm -hmm. right? Because everybody can just you know binge these things now. I, but I would in the eighties, in the eighties, it was groundbreaking. It was different, it was, it was especially a whole okay. New thing. No, here in the United States, this was a big deal. The UK frequently did shorter series. It right. was in the US that they developed this concept of having sitcoms and dramas that spanned multiple years. Yeah, and that they would have multiple episodes throughout. So, what the are year. some what are some of the char common characteristics of these miniseries? Is, is all right. So, miniseries have a clear beginning, a middle that is truncated, and an end. So it's a it's denouement, sort of, it, yeah. as it were. So let's talk about the TV, the way that the um, networks were set up. Yes. Uh, you remember that there were the big three. All what three. were they? Yeah. Oh gosh, I can't. Hulu, YouTube. No. <laughs> ABC, NBC, CBS. That's right. With uh, every once in a while, PBS would be doing a fun drive and they would get really interesting. <laughs> that was about it. <laughs> that was really they would, like, like the throw, 90s. Though. Yeah, they would show. No, no, back in the 80s when PBS was doing a fun, fun drive, you could see every Faulty Towers, you could see every Flying Circus, mm -hmm. and every Doctor Who. Okay. Because they knew that that would bring, bring the in, nerds bring to the in yard. People. Yeah. <laughs> Our TARDIS <laughs> brings all the nerds to the yard. <laughs> Their slide rules are better than yours. <laughs> Their math is better than yours. I could teach you, but I'd have to charge a tutoring fee. Thank you. I just made that up. That's very, That's very extemporaneous. That was extemporaneous. Okay. Um, so which channel, I'm gonna, this is a guess, I, I'm going to ask you to guess, which network was the first one to produce? ABC? Yes. Now, ABC... Fuck with me and find out, girl. ABC, <laughs> in the 1970s, sort of late 70s, mid-70s and on, um, was known for its giggle, which was like Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, that right, kind right. of show. Okay. Love or those shows. its jiggle. Oh, yeah. Like Charlie's, Charlie's Angels. Charlie's Angels, yes. yes. Three's Company. <laughs> was that ABC? I don't know, but uh, Charlie's Angels, yeah, for yeah. sure. Okay, they initially, the very first um, miniseries that they produced was Rich Man, Poor Man. I vaguely remember that. I vaguely that. remember that, too. I remember my parents were super oh, into it. Oh, yeah. That was in the 1970s, uh, and it ran as a miniseries. It had a lot of success, and because of that success, they adapted another novel to immense acclaim. Roots? Yes. Yeah. And that aired in 1977. It was a 12-hour adaptation of Alex Haley's novel, right. Roots. Which, by the way, it was a great bit of television, right? 
I mean, and, and again, I haven't watched it in a million years, and that's a lot of energy to put into something. But I, so I don't know how well it stands up. But I feel like that was a great bit of historical storytelling. I agree. Roots was, in fact, a ratings juggernaut. It won a ton of Emmys. It was just amazingly popular, in spite of some controversy over the subject matter. Um, so, for instance, it well, had you scenes... know, we white people do not like to be reminded <laughs> that we once enslaved well, an entire it wasn't, it race wasn't, of people. I mean, there was some people that kind of complained and said there's historical yeah. inaccuracy in this, but right. on both sides. Oh, yeah. But really, it was over the partial nudity. Because, of course, oh, yeah, it was puritanical, the 80s. Yeah. and there were breasts that were shown. There sure were. <laughs> um, and then sexual violence. So Definitely they showed, that, you know, yeah. really raping and things. But Roots really were rich man, poor man kind of kicked things off. Roots really solidified that people were hungry for that like, kind dude, of entertainment. And I think I've, we've talked about this before, but we watched that in school. You like, did. I was in yeah. like sixth or seventh grade, I right. think. And we had school uh, assemblies. Where we would sit in a in the cafetorium. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds <laughs> half really cafeteria, dramatic. half auditorium. <laughs> wow. Right? They had a screen up, and so I was living overseas at the time in Germany, and a fairly significant percentage of our student body was African American. Uh huh. Not a comfortable walk out after <laughs> each episode. I'm sure. Which you know, okay. It's uncomfortable for me because white people did a lot of bad things. I think you should have been uncomfortable. I definitely was. Yeah, I also, agree. but a great kind of lesson because I, I mean, did I think about slavery very much before that point? Certainly not. No, you know, I was and, pretty oblivious. And honest, I mean, I knew there were slaves, right? Right, but but it was more like, you know, Uncle Remus slaves you know yeah. the the stupid stereotypes or like gone with the wind oh yeah where it was like you know they seem kind of happy and they're and they comic were, characters you know, did some singing yeah. and they just seemed kind of like simple yeah and they needed their masters to take care of them so yeah no roots was very impactful um it helped establish the miniseries. Not only was it impactful in terms of the story that it told, but it also was impactful in terms of how the complexion of television during the late 70s and through the 80s really changed. Well, it was a huge commercial success. I mean, there was a ratings Correct, boom, correct. Right? Okay, so... Um, I think one quadrillion people watched Roots. <laughs> all right, so following Roots' success, multiple series came to fruition uh, across all three networks. Whether they should have or not. It didn't, well, they didn't care. Well, that's true, but they... The genre people, was on fire. They just loved it. Yeah. Okay, so... Richard Chamberlain's like, yes, Richard Chamberlain yes, made some yes. money. He was twirling his mustache and going to the bank on the daily. He really was. <laughs> Richard Chamberlain had a lot like, of work. He's like, my time has come. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Look All at right. these cheekbones, for God's sake. All right, so in the some of the miniseries during that time, and we're going to actually be covering other of these miniseries with different themes, but the first one we're going to be doing is Thornbirds. But anyway, there was Shogun. Loved Shogun. Centennial, which I eh. uh, I loved Centennial. I loved it. Um, The Winds of War. Right. And War in Remembrance, which clocked in at 30 hours. Wow. And was the longest miniseries. It aired in 1980. We're definitely not doing that one. No, it aired in 1989. <laughs> I don't have that kind of time in my life. It, it aired in 1989, and it was one with the lowest rating. So by yeah. the late 80s, these were kind of like well, I mean, tailing you, off. You really try. You asked a lot of them to watch a fucking 30-hour 30 30 hour miniseries, miniseries right. about, you know, War. War. Um, Lace was another one, North and South, parts one. <laughs> Lace was a, kind of a dip in uh, 
the high-minded concept of some of these. Uh, you know, it was a little bit. It was a. It was. It was geared more towards, I think, melodramatic. And women. It was unusual because it wasn't as historically based as the rest of them, right? Most of them were historical melodramas. Yeah, well, true. Um, and, and Lace is about how hot Phoebe Cates is. South, North, and South one and two, and then the Thornbirds. From the raw Australia of the 1900s comes a turbulent saga that spans the decades. In Colleen McCullough's best-selling novel, The Thornbirds. I'll never have what I want. The story of a priest driven by ambition. Never be what I want. Tormented by desire. And I don't know how to stop wanting. Hello, I'm Father Debrikasar, and you'll be Mary Carson's brother? That's right, Father. From the moment he saw her, he knew. And who are you? I'm Maggie. He would love her forever. I give you Mary Carson. The richest woman in Australia, and the loneliest. Shoot him, Frank! You are the most beautiful man I have ever seen, Ralph Tabrikasar. I thought it was my soul you were after, Mary. Why do you tug so at my heart? Where do you fill that space God can't fill? When you were a little girl, you were like my own child to me. I could have you then. You can have me now. You can marry me. I have chosen to destroy you, priest. Oh, I'll go to hell for it, of course. But it'll be nothing to the hell I'm planning for you. In the years that followed, no one could stir Maggie's heart. No one till a rover named Luke O'Neill. God, you are beautiful. Marry me, Megan. A story that travels around the world, from the Vatican to the Australian outback, from the islands of Greece to London. I've tried so saga that spans half a century, echoing through three generations. A love unattainable, forbidden, forever. The Thornbirds. ABC ran The Thornbirds from March 27th to the 30th in 1983. That's a concentrated dose of Richard Chamberlain. It really right was. There. It starred. There, people are mainlining. We watched it in two nights. Yeah, we watched ma- the first episode. You have to mainline two- Richard Chamberlain to get, shit to, to get this shit done. It spanned multiple generations looking at the trials and tribulations of the Irish Cleary family and their dealings with the ambitious Catholic priest Ralph de Bricassar. It was directed by Daryl Duke and based on. Uh, as I said in the introduction on the 1977 novel of the same name by Colleen McCullough, which, by the way, that was a bod- it had to be a bodice ripper novel was and I think probably went into obviously went into much more detail than the miniseries was able to do. So you probably knew much more from inner monologue and things like that about like sort of the motivations, which I think is one of the things that's lacking, but we'll get there. It was actually semi-autobiographical. It, it dealt a little bit about her personal relationship with her mother. Oh, okay. So, so she was Maggie? Yeah, she was kind of Maggie and did her she mom fall in love was with a priest. No. Oh, as good. far as I know, not. But anyway, it she did base some of that interpersonal relational dynamic between mother and daughter on on herself. The series was enormously successful. It became the United States' second highest rated miniseries of all times behind Roots. Wow. The novel on which it was based was considered quite scandalous at the time. Dealing as it did with the romantic... <laughs> Wait till you get to the miniseries. <laughs> Dealing as it did. No, but see, the thing that they were shocked about was the relationship with the priest. The fact that the priest was sexual and... Oh, and, not that he was grooming a young girl. Right. Between Yeah, so is the romantic relationship between Maggie Cleary and the priest Ralph DeBricassar. Girl. That is the only fourth most controversial thing in that whole thing, I think. I 100%, 100 million percent agree. So let's now talk 
about the thorn birds and ambition. Right, because it's all about that ambition. Okay, so here's how the story goes. There's a family that comes from New Zealand, the Clearies. They are coming to Australia to work as the managers of an Outback station, which is probably the largest, most successful station in the Outback, that is owned by Mary Carson, who is the sister of Patty Cleary, who is this family, the head, the patriarch of the family that's coming from New Zealand. He has multiple sons and a daughter, and they move in and they start managing the farm. They encounter Ralph de Bricassar, who is the priest of the local area, but he spends a lot of time at Dragita because Mary Carson is very powerful. She has a lot of money and she gives him gifts and things like that. She gives him a car, she gives him a horse, whatever. She is interested in him sexually. He is not interested in her because of her age. And also because he's a priest. He's not got that interest. And she's a bitch. And she's a bitch. And she's, she's definitely out to get him. And he, and he knows it. So there's this very sort of antagonistic relationship between the two of them. Then you could be cardinal after all. And what would that make you? Surely not the Pope. Oh, no, no, that's too dull. Satan, perhaps, that's more interesting. <laughs> more powerful. Well, every heaven needs one just to stay in business. Without Satan, there's no struggle. And it's the struggle that keeps us alive. Oh, no. What keeps us alive is the point of that struggle, the hope of attaining perfection. Well, by perfection you mean heaven. But you have to die to get there, don't you? Sometimes, Mary, I think you're after my very soul. I am. He immediately, as we mentioned, falls in love with Maggie, even though she's a young child. Mary is acutely aware of this, and she watches that relationship progress during the childhood as she grows into an adult. Ralph takes Maggie under his wing and brings her into a convent school. But it's not good enough that Maggie doesn't live just with all the other kids. She goes and she lives in his priest house in her own fancy bedroom. I love school and being here with you. But you know, the convent isn't really a very homey place for you. In fact, Annie and I have been thinking that what you need is your very own special place here with us. Would you like that, Maggie? Oh, could I? Honest? Oh, why do you tug so at my heart? Why do you fill that space God can't fill? Um, can you define grooming? Gro- <laughs> <laughs> can you define that for me? No, what this that's it. This is a whole He's 100%, he's 100% grooming, grooming this child. Okay. So, at a certain Fuck you, Father Ralph to Edie Brickell. You <laughs> suck as a person. So then so that eventually Maggie has to go back to the station and mind her new baby brother who ends up dying, but she stays at the station. Good job, Maggie. Flash forward to you get Maggie, who is now sort of a debutante. She's old. She's of age at this point. (laughs) I was going to say, she's old? Really? She's like 16. She's of age at this point, and there's a big party, which is Mary Carson's birthday party. I feel like for Father Ralph, of age is a relative term. It really is. He's very flexible on that It is. That's true. So he, they they have this huge birthday party for Mary, and prior to that party happening, Mary writes a will. She has already written a will that is in place, and that will gives everything to her brother, Patty. As God intended. 
Now, she is one of the wealthiest women in Australia. Right. And at nobody this point. really gets that, right? They think she just owns she Drogheda. She owns this station. But she owns but like she owns silver and gold. And, and she's just whatever. like, she's, she is set up for life. What she does is she has a second will drafted and she dies. That bitch. And what she says. She the, knew she was dying. She too. knew she was going to die. And so, that, of course, as, the, as one does in yeah. these films. In a, in a, if you're in a melodrama, you always, <laughs> you always know, know when, when you're, you're going to die. die. Yeah. So she ends up leaving in the second will yeah. she gives Ralph a choice and that will is read to Ralph before anybody else sees anything right. else and he is given a choice at this point my dear Ralph how do you like my new will of course you can destroy it if you wish it's the only copy my lawyer will never tell no one will be the wiser and Maggie will be the richer but I know what you'll do I know it as surely as if I could be there watching and they give you that red robe and mitre. She's controlling him from beyond the grave. Beyond the grave, and she tells him, Kiss me goodbye, Ralph. On my mouth. Kiss me on my mouth as if we were lovers. Mary, I am a priest. A priest? You're not a man or a priest. You're some impotent, useless thing that doesn't know how to be either. You're wrong, Mary. I know how to be a man. With the free will God has given us, and with that same free will, I have chosen to destroy you, priest. Oh, I'll go to hell for it, of course. But it'll be nothing to the hell I'm planning for you. He's definitely going to hell. He is definitely going to hell. So, all right. So, he ends up having the option to let the original will play out where that Cleary family right. would be given them and they would be set for life. They would have right. no Meggie. And these are hardworking people. And good people. And Meggie would have Salt no. Salt of the earth. In fact. And Meggie would have no issues. She would be, you know, she'd have a good dowry or whatever she needed. She would be set for life. She would never need Ralph again. And right. that's an important thing to remember. Right, because she'd be independent. She'd right? be independent. Or the other option is that she would say, leave. Fuck the family. Mary would leave everything to the church. Yeah. And but in on the so condition doing, that Ralph is the, you know, whatever, administrator. Well, she, or, she knew that Ralph would be the administrator and that that kind of a largesse going into the church coffers would get him immediate power within the structure of the Catholic Church. Okay. And so then that's basically the setup. And then after that, it's just sort of this back and forth because Ralph has groomed her, Maggie, and she's fallen in love with him. Yeah. And so it's this back and forth. And she wants to be with him and then he wants to be with her, but he doesn't love her as much as he loves God. When you were a little girl, you were like my own child to me. You were the rose of my life. I could have you then. You can have me now. You can marry me. You love me. But I love God more. I think that definitely was bullshit. Right? Probably. He doesn't love her as he loves as much as he loves his career. His career, right. Well, I mean, let's get there. But okay, so so the Ultimately, Maggie gets married. His name is Luke in the film. He's not really a present husband. She, well, you know why? Well, <laughs> too ambitious. <laughs> He's ambitious himself. Luke's not taking me home for Christmas after all. He and Arnie have found some extra work. Damn. Doesn't that man ever do anything but work? This big dream of his to have the best place in all Australia comes before everything. Been here almost a year. Now he's saying it'll maybe another year before we're ready. Maybe two. Suppose you have to respect him for having a goal and being willing to sacrifice for it. Yes. Except I'm the sacrifice. 
Then, but it also involves wrestling with men. It does. Well, and like just a lot of spent time away from home. So then Maggie has a child with the, her husband that she Brian, doesn't really Brown, want. Brian yeah, Brown. Like, she doesn't really want that child, but she has it just to try and bond him to her. Right. What I have been thinking, that if we were to have a baby, maybe Luke would be willing to settle down and buy the station sooner. It's not that easy. Why? Oh, you mean because Luke is here so seldom? No. Well, the few times that we have been together, Luke has seen to it that, um... Maggie, you have the face of an angel, the body of a goddess, and you don't know how to make a man get you pregnant. That fails as that, as, yeah, as that That's does. always a good strategy, ladies, by the way. Then she is sent... Bring another life into the world as a chess piece. <laughs> and then she ends up going off for a vacation, a solo vacation that she's she's on and all of a sudden Ralph well, shows up. By the up. way, her, her kid is like a week old. She's like, you know, you might need a couple months away. I, and honestly, I guarantee you a lot of, a lot of moms are kind of like, yeah, I could have used a I couple, months, used a away. couple <laughs> of months away. Like I'll come back when they're like walking and talking and so stuff. She goes off to this vacation. And who shows up? Ralph de Brickasar. Father de Ralph, Ralph de Baguette, right? <laughs> He's right there. And he shows up and then they have this tryst. Um, uh, is that what we're calling it? That's what we're they calling it. They were banging it. for a week. They were. And then he decides, he says to her. When Justine was born, he said I still saw you as a child or as some ideal image. And it was true. How else could I fight you to see you as you really are with a body that molds perfectly to mine and a soul that lies open to me? It would be to lose my soul. And now you think you have lost it. Just by being a man. What kind of God would shut men out of paradise for loving women? A God I still can't give up for you. I know. And so, just, so then she's like, well, that's all right. I understand. I know I'm that you have to do this. super knocked up, bro. She goes back. She's pregnant. She has his child. He does not realize that this is his child. Then she lives a whole life. They, they, they right. kind of both go their own ways. Right. The kids grow up. And then all of a sudden, Ralph comes back, and there's just uh, the son, who is his son that he doesn't know about, right. determines that he himself wants to become a priest. Right. Maggie loses that man to the church. So now right. she's lost she's pissed. two men to the church, and it just goes on, and it's just like more angst around it. In the end, the, Ralph is trying to help the son move up through the church, but the right. son is a true believer. It is a sacrifice giving up all the things you could have made possible for me here. But I think I will feel closer to God and better able to do his work in a simpler place. And in choosing Gilly, I can make my mother happy. She deserves that. Yes, she deserves that. He's actually religious, whereas Ralph was religious with ambition. The daughter, Jussie... Justine, Jussie, is also ambitious. She right. wants to be an actress. And so to her undying she ambition... She wants to go to, to Georgetown. She wants to just be an... Because <laughs> it's mayor win winning him, everyone. <laughs> she wants to go to Georgetown. <laughs> boogity, boogity, boogity. Ah, ah, ah. And so then she... I cannot look at her without thinking of her of, character. Of, of St. Elmo's. Yeah. All right. I'm, so then at the end, the son dies tragically. Ralph comes swimming back. Swimming in the Aegean. Yes. Ra in I Greece. E. 
Back in Greece, in Greece full circle. See, right. Yes, and thank so you. then Ralph comes back to bury the son, and then Maggie tells him that was your son. Right. And then all of a sudden he dies also, and everybody's dead, and Maggie is left. Of a fairly horrible little heart attack there. Bad heart attack. While she's like he... sitting, at his, sitting at his knee. And know? she's telling the story of the thorn bird. Right. Which, Which is... by the way, a horrible story to tell a young child. He tells her this story when she's like 10 she's years old. Little. It's He's terrible. like, yeah, let me tell you this story of this beautiful bird who Hails themselves on a fucking thorn <laughs> and sings while they die. They only sing when they're dying yeah. of being impaled. Isn't that great? Self, self-impaling yeah. impalement. All right, so that's the overarching. By the way, Maggie, impalement? Know what I'm saying? Oh, Mark. <laughs> All right, God well. damn it. Oh, you can't accuse me of making that miniseries more creepy than it actually is. All right, is. all right. So we're going to talk quickly about Aristotle's theory about ambition, the continuum, and Do we're going to we'll place put some people on it. We're going to place some people on it. Mary Carson. Mary Carson is far too, uh, she's Genghis Khan of the (laughs) Outback, right? She has nothing but ambition. But what is her ambition? Her ambition is, I feel like her ambition is total and complete domination of everything she wants, right? She wants to be be known as the most, the richest woman in in Australia. Mm -hmm. She wants to be able to own anything she wants. She wants to be able to play with family members and you know be the puppeteer for that but mostly she wants the d and that's what i think it is so i would disagree with you that she she doesn't i don't think she wants people to understand how wealthy she is i think that knowledge is power and to her the knowledge that she's the wealthiest woman is much more powerful than if she would announce that she was the wealthiest woman right and as we discussed, Carson Limited is doing well with your expansion plan. Meaning I'm still one of the richest women in Australia. If not the richest. Mary, does your brother have any idea of all this? No, no one has. And that's the way I want it kept until the day I die. Do you understand? Though it would be amusing to know what people would say if they know Drogheda was only a hobby with me. So well, for, truly rich people don't do that, right? Right. But for me, I think that her main ambition at that point in her life, now was, we don't know what it was but before I don't, that. I don't really, I mean, I was joking when I said it's the D. No, but it she is. She wants to own the, she wants to own things, right? She wants to own Drogheda. She wants to own all this money in stocks and she wants to own Father D. Bevilacqua. He, okay? She definitely wants to. To, she wants to control, I think she yeah. wants the control over Ralph. I think she wants to still. She has that very poignant line, and I think that it's accurate. Um, and as I'm a- aging, it's 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 really Are you turning into Mary Carson. No, but as I'm aging, I understand this better. She says something like, "You don't love me. I have always loved you so much, so I would have killed you for not wanting me." I'm the goat of your old age. That's all. A reminder of what you can no longer be. Inside this stupid body, I am still young. I still feel. I still want. I still dream. And I still love you. Oh, God, I'm Yeah. I still have these I feelings. feel that, too. I've told you that. I think if I really worked at it, I could still dunk. <laughs> <laughs> I could dunk a basketball. So, And then my question is, is, okay, is it really Ralph? Or is it really just this idea of control and then youth and sort of control over itself and still having that power? Right. Because I feel young, therefore I want to own this youthful, vibrant man, and that'll mean that I really That am I young. am young. Yeah. So that there's something, you know, like sort of the heart of the enemy keeps right. you strong. And or possibly something. I will 
will drink his blood to maintain <laughs> I will, my or life. Bathe in it. Yes. There's some an intensely creepy scene where she's like, oh, he's naked on the on the when he's on the veranda or she's whatever. She's up there with her hands on, the, on his. I don't know, but he just stripped down in front yeah. of. I mean, fully and naked. And then she walks out, and she is groping. How many women have loved you, Ralph, besides your mother? Did she love me? I don't know. She ended up hating me. Because you didn't need her. Because I needed God more. Interesting. And now... Now you can't need any woman. Can you, Cardinal de Brookesar? Up and him. down. And, and he's this... not really fighting as much no, as he, like should. he should. I don't think he wants like... her, but I think he likes to be wanted. He likes to be wanted. And that's another part of the power dynamic yeah. there is that, it, you know, like who's the one that's actually in control of that dynamic? I think that she is because she has the she money. Is. And he is a slave to his ambitions and she can make it happen. And he knows that. And so he entertains. That's why he, that's why he keeps coming back to Drogheda, right? Right. And her? he doesn't really care that much about her. Not he at says all. horrible things about her. He does. And I mean, they're constantly talking about like. Like, I'm, I'm the devil. Gonna, uh, oh, I, yeah. I'm dragging you down. You're a bitch. Whatever. Why, why are you? Are, yeah, like, why are you? Why are you and, trying to bang me all the time? You know, whatever. So much. <laughs> All right. So that's their their power dynamic. And of course, she is the one that sets everything into motion with that trick of the will where she yeah. says, you know, She's that like, I'm going to still own your fucking ass because I know what you're going to do. I know what you're going to do. And she and was that's right. What she, said. she says right in the will. I know which one you're going to choose. Yeah. Motherfucker. Uh-huh. And, and I am striking at you from beyond the grave. Uh-huh. And you're going to definitely choose ambition. Mm -hmm. So he's like, look, as father de boulangerie. <laughs> I <laughs> feel like I need to take this plantation and fuck over the Clearies because someday I will get a little red hat. <laughs> That's basically what it is. Potentially a white hat. Well, yes, but ends up not so much not, getting the white hat. Doesn't get to the white hat. All right, so his... So Even the Catholic Church with all their flaws like, hmm, Father Ralph's a little much. So in that situation, Mary is definitely the one who has the most authority or if not authority, because it's not really granted to her, she's taken it. It's power. She's just, right. she's got the ambition to do what she did and she does it. So Mary on the scale of things is on the far extreme. She is not by any stretch of the imagination, a moderate. She's, there's no moderation in what she's doing. She is setting the world on fire. Oh no, she's, she's a badass bitch but also evil. Evil, right. Okay, and Ralph in that dynamic is actually Subs less, is she, less he's powerful. Subordinate. Like yeah, he's, he's subordinate to her. Okay, so now let's talk about Ralph and Dane. Oh, yeah. So that's his son, although he knows it not. He does not know until the very end. He has no idea that Dane, <laughs> the news finally that Dane just is also him. a day brasserie, <laughs> right? So, so he just has to kind of... You know, but he has this immediate connection. He has an immediate connection with him, and Dane the same has a connection with Ralph, and is in is, fact is that Ralph, his actual title, Sir Dane the same. Dame, <laughs> Dane is actually it confides in Ralph that he wants to join the church, and even though he knows it will hurt his mother. Father, I also want to be a priest. Dane, why, when you could do anything with your life, be anything. How can you say that? 
when you are everything I want to be. Oh, Dane, no. You know nothing of the man I am. You look at me and see the cardinal, the prince of the church. I see the priest. The perfect priest. And Dane is an interesting foil to Ralph. That's right. Right? Because he has ambition. Yes. Right? His ambition is to become a priest. He doesn't give a fuck about the hierarchy. He loves God. That's right. He really does love God. And what's interesting is that a lot of the tension between Maggie and Ralph is often that Ralph sort of is saying, you know, I love God more than I, I love you, but I love God, love God more, more than I love which you. Which is bullshit. Which is nuts. Um, but also, it's there's also this concept that Ralph constantly brings up, which is that Maggie understands how to love. Like, Maggie is, is full-on just benevolence and love right and what Maggie's dane, a little crazy too maggie is crazy but she loves she loves yeah. ralph oh she does um dane is the best of both of them because right. he has true ability to love yes. and that love is focused on god yeah he is who ralph really he's wished, selfless he is selfless unlike the unlike, ambitious father de bouquet yeah and he is he's a true believer so his ambition Not a i was swimmer <laughs> poor guy he tries to save some women some bimbos some girls come into the water so and, the, yeah so his milkshake is bringing all these girls to the yard and then they drown then they start to drown and, in the undertow there was a little like, bit of i'll save you well yeah, maybe not. No, I won't. <laughs> I'll just go down with Yeah, with go you. down with the ship. One thing that Dane is that mm -hmm. very few people in this miniseries are is authentic. He is authentic. I would say that the brothers, the Cleary brothers, who yeah, sort of say, like simple. Patty, <laughs> yeah. he's also authentic. They don't want All more I want to do they... is punch dogies and shear sheep. That's right? it. Like, That's they're it. like, well, what more do we want? Don't deny it's a bit of a disappointment. If she wanted to leave it to the church... And then 13 million quid, I, I wouldn't know how to look after that kind of money. What do you think? But we can live on Drogida anyway and have this house. Isn't that what the will says? No one can turn you off Drogida so long as even one of your father's grandchildren lives. Then what more do we want? So they're they're but they're also very minor characters, right? At least they are in the film. I don't know what oh, they yeah. are Who in knows? the book. You don't but, know. You but never you know, know what? I'm not going to read the book. You can't make me. Okay, now let's talk about Ralph. Ralph's ambition drives him to burn everyone around him. Right. Remember we were talking sure. about earlier on um, about ambition and how blind ambition can light you the fire. Sacrifice your friends and loved your, ones. Right. right. He's fine with that. Well, he's not fine with it. He seems to be somewhat tortured by it, but he doesn't let it stop him. How does he get any work done? Because he seems know. to be doing a lot of looking out of windows. Yeah. Well, maybe that's his job as a <laughs> as a cardinal. You know, cardinal. I mean, you you here's the thing. When you become a cardinal, you get the little red hat. It's best if you have like large, possibly stained glass, but you know, open windows onto some kind of courtyard and you clasp your hands behind your back. And look upon it. Yes. Right? That's what your job well, is. Well, I don't know if you've and ever been to the Vatican. reflect on the glory of God. But yeah. there is a lot to look at in the Vatican. I oh, mean, sure. You could do a lot of pensive looking. You can. You can like, oh, look, there's a Michelangelo. I'm, gonna I'm just going to stare at Pensively it. stare at yeah. that. Um, all right. So Ralph, where Ralph is sort of on the very far end of the ambition scale. He is... Just he's... to the left of Mary. <laughs> right? Yeah, maybe. So he's 
she. You think he's less? He's less ambitious than Mary. I. Th- I'm, she's just so ruthless. At least he has some kind of conflicts Scruple. in his life. Not not scruples, but competing desires. Right. Yeah. Like I want to be a Catholic priest, but I definitely want to hit that. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? <laughs> right. So he's got some conflicts. Mary's like, no. Here's what I want. I want to hit that. I want to control this guy's life. I want to control my family's life. I want to be rich as fuck. And then I'm going to die. And, and That's all she I'm wants. I'm dying on command, too. Yeah. Like, I'm dying like, you know and what? I'm going to do it. Tonight's the night I'm dying. We had an excellent party. <laughs> Thanks for coming. I'm going to go upstairs and expire. <laughs> <laughs> and, by the way, wait till you read the will. It is a burner. <laughs> you guys, guess what? It is fire. Psych. It is fire. <laughs> you guys are super not going to see this coming. All right. So, Maggie. Let's go to Maggie. All right. Maggie is complicated as fuck. She is. That's understandable given her fucked up childhood. I know this poor girl. She had nowhere to go with so, what she was given. So she's the youngest ch- child, or no, not the youngest child, but she's the only girl. They pick Second up. Second youngest child. Yeah. They pick up and they move to this Nowheresville outback. Her mother, Loki. Oh, her mother doesn't give her. a fuck about her. Look after Maggie. Don't forget her. Make her go to the local dances, meet the young men. Help her look around her world and find some good kind man to marry. Give her children and a home of her own. It's time. Whatever you say, Father. See, she's your daughter. It's as if you never remember that. Does any woman? a daughter just a reminder of the pain a younger version of oneself who will do all the same things cry the same tears I try to forget I have a daughter it's like the Dobby. Yeah. Yeah. Of, yeah. She's like, the oh, family. You, gave, you gave Maggie socks. Maggie is free. <laughs> she's like, if I could put compound W on you and make you go away, I 100% would. Yeah, she has no respect for she her has, daughter. She comes around a little bit at the end. Well, at the very end. But, and then she has her aunt, uh, bitch face, right? Yeah. Mary. Jealous of her from day Oh, 100%. Like, even when she's a child. Well, because Ralph is carrying her into the room. That's right. Yeah, no, so Maggie, to me, does something. um, She is ambitious. She wants Ralph, but she also tempers her ambition. When she gets pregnant and she has Ralph's son, Right. that's enough for her. Yeah, because that was an ownership move. And she says that, and I know you. you, we disagreed about this earlier, but I'm going to tell you my take on it. Yeah. She says, I took... The one thing the church can't have. And then in the end, hubris. Because yeah, and in the end, the church got it, and then Poseidon got it. <laughs> <laughs> the gods conspire against me. Exactly. Maggie has a tough go of it. So Maggie, though, in my mind, at least for a moment, is able to temper her ambition because she reaches the goal that gives her at least some happiness. She's playing the long game. She well, it's it's just I think that she gets to a point where she says I'm not because she tried to forget him by marrying someone else. That didn't work. Yeah. She gets enough and she's happy with enough. And so yeah. I would say that probably of all the characters She was happy having his she's baby. She's the closest to the mean of the main characters. The the sideline characters are are the mean characters. So on one side you have Mary 
Right. There's nobody with no ambition. Right. No, I agree. But well, there's nobody with right. a deficiency of ambition. They have all well, except got for I, I think except ambition. for her older brothers. No, they have her, zero ambition. No, they're, they're like we are happy just being farmhands, basically. Well, no, but they were happy getting the house and living in the house. I would say they are happy with the mean. They are not lacking ambition because they're hard workers. They do what they do and they're good at it. They've obviously done well because at a certain point they have a private plane. They're flying. You know, they're doing well. well. Really, the foreman flies the private plane that is owned by the the no the brother is the one that flies it the brother flies it yeah i thought the i thought thought the guy from star trek was flying it no they've done well with the farm they are at the mean i would say they're not lacking in ambition completely they're in the mean just everybody else is so far to the to the extreme of extreme ambition that they well, seem like so wow, they're lacking ambition. But I they're, mean, I think they're, they're pretty far to one scale, just because they're happy with their lot in life. They're not looking to improve it. They were kind of they fell into this position. They didn't have to really sacrifice a lot to get it. They're just happy with with what they're getting. Of course, everybody has some kind of drive, and I th- I say they had their aspirations and their ambitions met perfectly, right? Yeah. They were. They weren't trying to get beyond where this. they were. They yeah, were just they were happy. fine with it. They were it. good. With so that's where not they were. super ambitious, right? That's pretty far. Well, they left. were willing to work hard for no, what but, they had. But that's not. But that's yeah. But I don't see that as overly ambitious. They weren't sacrificing anybody. No, that's to, true. Uh, so to maybe advance. they were just. Maybe they everything. were fine with the same job for their whole life. Yeah. Well, but then, they, but they didn't see. They weren't hurting anyone, and they were happy. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying they're probably some of the least problematic characters right. so in the whole thing. So I would say they're at the mean. No, all right. Uh, people who are l- lacking in complete ambition would be like, you know, bums laying around and Well, you know who lacked in complete ambition? Who? The queen of the sheep fair or whatever her name was. Oh, yeah. Right? The girl who she, she just for she, the... She, she, never she moved won that one pageant. And she stayed a house servant her whole her career. Her whole life. And, then and she the even end, made some comments like, about it. I'm still like, here. She's like, oh, yeah, and I guess I never managed to leave. And I'm... So, Judy, still here on Dragida? Oh, well, I was meaning to go, of course. Uh, what is it, 30 years? It's more than 30. That long. Well, I remember so well when you were queen of the Gilly Fair. I was, wasn't I? Yeah, she's still serving tea. Yeah. Um, all right. So then uh, the last person I guess I want to talk about is Jussie, the daughter. You love her. I didn't love her, but I just. I feel I like felt, you did. I no, feel like you think she's mo- one of the most interesting characters. I, what I find her, why I find her interesting is because she has ambition. She goes after her ambition. Yeah. Jussie, what on earth are you doing? I'm off to tread the boards, Mom. They just phoned me from the theater. Seems our Mrs. Cratchit's got the pip. <laughs> God bless us, everyone. Jussie, it's Christmas. <laughs> yes, Mother. That's often when one stages Dickens' Christmas Carol. Jussie, you know how much this Christmas means to me with Ralph here. Really, Mom, you might be happy for me. Oh, God, girl, you are exactly like my father. So you've said. But she is able at a certain point to hear others say and and recognize the fact that perhaps her burning ambition is preventing her happiness. Right. So that's a, actually a good point. So she illustrates that at a certain point ambition is not really making you happier or getting you what you want. 
You're just burning people left and right. You're just well, and you're isolating yourself. Yeah. Because what she was, what she was running away from or hiding, you know, sort of missing her perverted family. What she, what she was missing out on was having, was, was having love. It's rain. He wants me to marry him. It's wonderful. A man's been in love with you for ages. But I can't marry him. But if you love him. But that's just it. I don't. I think I can love anyone. It isn't that you can't love. It's that you've been made to feel that you don't deserve to be loved. But you do. You do. Right. So she she ended she didn't up, get love from her mom. She didn't get love from her mom because Maggie duplicated the same dyna- dynamic that she had with her mom. Right. And Maggie, of course, which was a distant and you know. Semi-parental, but really kind of more just detached. Jessie ends up, she wants to be an actress. She goes and she does her acting and then uh, ends up a diplomat, a German diplomat, who is in some way attached to Ralph and the... <laughs> who is the white shadow. <laughs> Ken Howard. <laughs> I'm like, how are you German, bro? Right? That was quite a... That was quite... I mean, honestly, at least he's the only one in the whole fucking miniseries that attempts an accent. Yeah, I really did. And he's like, well, I'm you know, I'm German. I'm not a basketball coach from America. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, if you've never seen the show The White Shadow, you won't know what we're talking about, but Ken Howard These played... are people that, that, that were alive I know, but the 80s. Everybody's not at least everybody seen is, one is, episode of not the everyone is, White is, Shadow. Not everyone is, is as educated as we are. As 80s as we are. Exactly. Educated has as nothing culturally to do with... steeped oh my God. in the 80s as anyway, we are. Anyway, so he... Um, he was good in that, he, I thought. He was good. He was actually good. And I will tell you that the actors that I thought were the best yeah, were Mayor I was going to ask you that at the beginning, but let's ask you now. Who are the best actors in this miniseries? I honestly think Mayor Winningham was a and winner. Ken and Howard. Ken Howard. They, they were both the, they actually were the best. most natural. You believe them. I mean, Mayor Winningham kind of had a weird she was that she, she was on. a little over the top, right? Because but she was an actress, mm-hmm. right? Like she was an actress playing an actress. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna allow for a little bit of, you know, melodrama there. Yeah. But Ken Howard was like, look, I'm German, even though I'm not. And I look I love this one woman. I'm willing to go for four years with no sex whatsoever. <laughs> just friends. You're just, just friends. friends. But eventually she'll fall in love with me. Because, you know, that's how we get them, you know, slowly. I will, My you know. Teutonic at, charm. Uh, yeah. At a certain point, I will annex her Sudetenland, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> and then we will be together forever. And in the end, that is what happens. So, that's right. um, But But what, what I think is really great about Jessie's arc is that she recognizes that her ambition isn't serving her and so she pulls it back she reins it in and she has you know what the best part of her you know her best life decision in the whole thing is flying away from that fucking psycho family flying away and as Ralph lay dying yeah she's like you know what I don't need this I'm out. I found a boy. <laughs> I'm out. Well, no, she was going to stay. Yeah. And then but, to her credit yeah. uh, Maggie says go. You know you, what? You gotta I'm go. not that great of a mom. I have this weird thing with a priest. But I love you, so go. I'm I'm cutting you. Yeah, if you love somebody, set them free. Set Put them, them on free. the plane. Thank you, Sting. We um, appreciate the advice. <laughs> we are going to be getting. Some... You didn't make it up, but yeah, I know. There it's we fine. go. All right, so uh, let's ask these questions. So I already said I thought my favorite actors in the whole thing were Mayor Winningham and and Ken Howard. You? Yeah. So Rachel Ward. 
You thought she was a good actress? No. <laughs> no, I'm saying who was who did I the liked, best acting? I, li- I liked her. So who did the best acting? The best acting. Um, I think I mean Ken Howard for sure. Yeah, I really he was a very Christopher Plummer wasn't bad. And yet. I was gonna just say Cl- Christopher Plummer because he was one of the few good guys in the uh, in the whole thing. Yeah, because all he wanted to do was help Father Ralph. You know Ralph get his shit together a little bit. Yeah, right. He was the truth teller. Right, he was He's the like, truth teller. Look, and a mentor. A good I get mentor. I get that you're hot for this girl, and I know we're like you know priests and stuff, but I understand that. And, you know, let's see if you can get past that. And Father Ralph is, like, tearing his hair out and wanking it on the daily. <laughs> Who knows what's going on with Father Ralph? Can but you Christopher imagine Plummer, the confessions? Yeah. Oh, my Christopher God. Plummer's like, look, dude, I am tired of the pornographic <laughs> confessions. <laughs> Just let's get it together a little bit. He's like, my dude. Tighten yeah, up. He's like, tighten up. Come on. Get it together, bro. <laughs> All right. You Yes, you did your little bang a <laughs> on some bizarre tropical island somewhere okay well done just Ralph. be yeah be fine with that that's what you get that's your prize okay <laughs> now let's that's, buckle down yeah that's wank material for you the rest of your adult life and which he, honestly is not that much longer and he i've sa- seen the script <laughs> he says to him you know he says to him well i never got to be the pope we best get you in bed my beautiful bed in which i shall die one of these fine days and not even a pope's bed, hmm, Ralph? But there's still maybe time for you. <laughs> ah, Vittorio. Well, Ralph never gets to be the pope either. Right, because I think, I feel like the other bishops are like, look, he had that really unexplained absence <laughs> for like two weeks. I mean, and I feel like he was off he banging put somebody. Did he for that yeah, time off? Yeah, I don't think he did. I don't think he had PTO for that. <laughs> And uh, I feel like he was he, definitely wetting his wick, if you know what I'm I, saying. He was wearing that snappy suit. Yeah, and he, he always had. Wear his he always had a snappy suit underneath his his job his bishopry, right? Yeah, he's like under uh, his cassock. Yeah, he, he's like he comes in with the big cape and everything, and then like in two seconds, that's gone. And he's got tight fitting jodhpurs. Right? <laughs> he's like, or he's nude. Yeah, I mean, or or naked on the veranda, right? <laughs> on the in the uh, lanai. Oh my god! <laughs> what by the way i have a lanai i have never been naked on it i have once or twice gone out there in my underwear to fetch my dog but that's like in the middle of the night okay i'm not out there bathing or allowing you know elderly women to fondle me just so you're clear i'm not doing that did you think i was doing that i'm I don't not think so all right. all right so now worst actors oh my god so I hate to say this because he's the king of miniseries. Richard Chamberlain was so horrible as an actor in this. He was awful, right? Yeah. He was just awful. He does better in other miniseries. This was a very, I, this was I, a low honestly, point. honestly, you get that like weird mash kiss. Oh, with you her, know, with him and- Where um, it's like real savage, but doesn't look like they're enjoying it in no, any way. No, it was painful. Yeah, they're like just smashing their face together. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you, what are you, what is I, that? That doesn't like, even look realistic. So I felt that he was wooden. I felt that Barbara Stanwyck, surprisingly, uh, Mary Carson. A little, little one dimensional, right? There was just, it was, and then the worst for me, though, was Ralph, Rachel. Rachel. I, am a, I am a woman with needs. <laughs> I know. Well, right, and the, her teeth were very big and choppery. All right. So the worst for me, though, is Rachel Ward. I thought that she you was thought terrible. She was that bad. I thought that yeah. she was that bad because 
every scene so was on pathos. 11. It yeah. was like 11, everything. If she was sad, she was sad on 11. If she yeah. was happy, she was happy on 11. Like, I'm just trying to clear out this drainage ditch here. <laughs> and sad, <laughs> I'm so upset. And sad and happy was yeah. not, not that, that different. far different. Right. No, like it was all just this extreme. But she is the hottie with the body. She I mean, did she's look a good. Good looking. She was very woman, pretty. Right? Yeah. yeah. I just didn't think she was as pretty as I think you think she was. Oh well, I mean, that, I think that's normal. And right? Brian Brown was. I mean, I think that he's a consistent actor. Uh, he's he, he better was, looking than I realized he was. He was. He was a good looking guy back yeah. then, right? I mean, yeah. he was fit, as they say. Very fit. Yeah. All right. So are we circling back to Aristotle? All right. So do you who, want to? where we put where we have everybody on the on the Well we have them. The, Everybody's been placed. All right, but let's let's review, shall we? All right. All right. Far right. Far right is Marion Ralph. I feel like Ralph is at least a notch to the left. Yeah, she's but far right is Mary. Mary nothing got in the way of Mary. No. She Ralph, had no sentimentality at all. No, Ralph is just slightly to the left of Mary. Right. Um further slightly Maggie? No, and then uh, ambition wise, Maggie. Maggie and Dane are closer to the mean. I think they yeah, may I, still be a, to the right of the mean, but no, Dane is pretty mean. Yeah, I would say Maggie is to the right of Dane because she's she's willing to fuck some shit up to get what she wants, right? And Jussie is also to the right of Dane, but Patty. Less, what less, about Patty? He's pretty far left, right? He's pretty far and left. And his sons, his sons, pretty, far, pretty left. far left. What about Fee? Pretty far left. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the only one who really falls in the mean is probably Dane. Right. He had a good balance right. between he had, ambition. He understood not to burn everyone up. That's right. He wasn't uh, with looking his to fuck anyone over. He knows he disappointed his mom a little. But he was going back to Australia. That's right. To be the parish priest for Dogita. And then he would. And there would be, be another old lady who would, you know, sexually no, I, I don't idolize think so. him. I don't think so. So anyway. All right. Well, Mark. Wow. Wow. This was the Thornbirds. They are problematic as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with those Thornbirds? Oh, my God. I mean, if your whole miniseries is based on a metaphor involving a bird that has to commit suicide to sing, maybe you might have some problems. I mean, it's a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot like, you know, Richard Chamberlain. <laughs> so that was Richard Chamberlain's greatest role, really. Well, That's the one he's most known for. I guess so, but he does better work in Centennial. He does, we'll and there. to my again, I might be dissuaded when we actually watch it, but he was awesome in Shogun. Shogun. <laughs> <laughs> he was the best white uh, savior I've ever seen. All right. All right. Well, uh, this was an interesting conversation. Thank you very much for listening to us, everyone. Christina, you did an excellent job here where you used <laughs> Aristotle, which who is the hero, by the way, of the early Catholic Church. They idealized him. Yes. You used Aristotle to frame a silly 1980s melodrama, right? That <laughs> I like is, to bring a certain amount of gravitas. Is, no, please. That is genius. <laughs> well done, ma'am. <laughs> I knew you'd love it as soon oh, as I was like, oh, that is here fire. we go. That here is, we go. That's fire. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for coming and listening to us each week. We really appreciate it. We hope that you have as much fun as we do. If you follow us on Apple Podcasts, please give us a review. We hope it's five stars. If it's not five stars, honestly, just save your, <laughs> save your energy. And, and leave us a review. We would appreciate it. That just helps us show up in the algorithm. Should we shout out to it? We haven't shouted out to a fan. All right, Joanne. Nice job listening. What up? 
Joanne likes to listen to us on the plane. Well, I we mean, put her to, to sleep, and then she has dreams about us. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, peace out, Cub Scouts. Bye. Wow. Watching this movie. Yeah, as a woman, I feel like you should speak to this. I was... There are no words to really express. Appalled will have to do because that's all I need. <laughs> Whatever like, ultra appalled is. <laughs> like, there was, were you aghast? I was gobsmacked. Oh, indeed you were. I was. Because the level of uh, creep with oh, him staring. At, and this, there's a young actress. She's a little girl. Yeah. And he's touching her face yeah. and just oh, like my staring dear Maggie. at her. And, and I mean, the, for the first several scenes... At any moment, he would pick her up. He wouldn't even let her walk. Oh, yeah. And she was like seven or eight I was or like, ten. Is, is or she something Tiny like that. Tim? What the <laughs> happening? Where are her he's crutches? Like, he's like carrying her around. He's just met her and he's carrying her. Yeah. You can see that he has an immediate and oh, strong. He, he the first scene where he meets her, he then has a crush on a ten-year-old girl. And it's not. It's not even hidden. You can't even look at the way that that the. The actor's choice, Richard Chamberlain's choice there, was, was to go on full-on sexy. sexy. Oh. It would have been more interesting to see him, at first, have a very paternal feeling That would have been, her. I would have felt better about or that. A, or right? a fraternal, like like as a brother right. or a, be, a dad. You know what? Be the cool uncle. Be, right. But he went right for the sexy. Yeah. Right? I mean, And he right was in love with her. He was in now, love with her. Now, it wasn't overtly sexual, of course, but... Well, there's a lot it of was, face touching and but it carrying was, It was flirty beyond my comfort level. Yes, indeed. Wow. Um, jiggle and jiggle. All right, so... The, I mean, what more do you mean? Honestly, uh, the very first... That's, that's how I think that could be our, the name of our new podcast. <laughs> giggle and jiggle. Give me a break. I'd be a giggle, so... <laughs> Mark, <laughs> well, how dare I can't be you the jiggle. objectify me? I can't be the what jiggle. What are you trying to say? I'm fat? No, oh. <laughs> girl. <laughs> I think you're misunderstanding what jiggle is. Uh, intentionally, Mark. 